1: I can hear
0: While this may have been how the war against the Taliban in Afghanistan began 20 years ago, this is how it ended. Chaos outside the airport in Kabul as U.S. troops continued a near round-the-clock evacuation of Afghan refugees and U.S. citizens following the collapse of the Afghan government.
2: Uh, This is an unstable moment in Afghanistan's history, and there's not much the United States can do about it now. This
0: week on 880 In-Depth, understanding the events in Afghanistan, how it happened, and why what happens a world away does actually matter here at home. Plus, how U.S. veterans who served in Afghanistan are feeling as they watch this unfold.
3: All veterans should hold their head high. They did their job. They did their job well. They should be proud of what they've done. This policy failure is in no way a reflection on the great work that our veterans have done.
0: Welcome to 880 In-Depth, I'm Tim Scheldt. The U.S. war on the Taliban in Afghanistan began after the 9-11 terror attacks in 2001. The Taliban had harbored Osama bin Laden and provided safe haven for the terrorists who carried out the attacks. The U.S. military action was intended to eliminate that threat. So what happened? Robin Wright is a contributing writer and columnist for The New Yorker, an award-winning international journalist who sums it up this way.
2: This is, after 20 years and over a trillion dollars, a signal of the inability of the United States really to read the situation on the ground, to understand that all the, the military power in the world or the arsenal of a nation often is not enough to counter what is the will of an, ideolo- an ideology that has strong following on the ground, even if we think of what it does and what it represents as repugnant.
0: Robin Wright is also a distinguished fellow at the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars. She spoke to reporter Peter Haskell for an in-depth look at the collapse of the government in Afghanistan.
2: The end of the war on terror as george bush called it really reflected i think a failure on 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 many levels it reflected miscalculations by all four presidents republican and democrat since 2001 a sense that we could build a nation and build uh, a government and a country basically from scratch in a decade or two and It reflected the intelligence failures and understanding where public sentiment was, what the will of the Afghan military to fight. And I think it reflected uh, a military failure in the fact that we as the United States paid $83 billion to build up a force and to equip a force that was four times larger than the Taliban, and yet it melted away. So, Again, it was not a single failure, it was a failure on so many fronts, and I think the blame game will cite all of them in the aftermath.
4: Give us a little bit of an education about the Taliban. How many fighters does it have, and how does it defeat or at least outlast the American military, and what kind of threat does the Taliban pose for the U.S. now?
2: Well, the Taliban ha- had about 60,000 fighters compared with the Afghan military, which had some 300,000. Uh, the Taliban is, a, I think, a threat long-term to American interests. It is already indicating it will reinstall strict Sharia law. Some of its fighters have talked openly to female reporters about that women will have to wear the niqab that is the full face covering uh, required by rigid Muslim governments, uh, and the they claim they will allow women to continue to go to school but the question is will they allow women to learn their ABCs and their two plus twos or will they only allow them religious instruction on the Quran uh, so there are a lot of questions still to be answered. There's still not a substitute government or an alternative government created in Kabul. A lot still has to play out, but there are early indications that the Taliban in places like Jalalabad, which is a commercial center uh, not far from the Pakistani border, uh, the Taliban is beginning to use force, uh, firing openly at crowds that had begun to protest. This, uh, this is an unstable moment in Afghanistan's history, and there's not much the United States can do about it now.
4: You talk about the fact that the Taliban says that, yes, it will allow women to go to school. Do you think this is uh, just a PR campaign? And how do you think this unfolds going forward?
2: The Taliban is clearly trying to win international approval for whatever comes next whether it is the, its social practices or its form of government. I think that's going to be hard given its track record between 1996 and 2001 when its rule was ruthless. I was first there in Afghanistan during the Taliban rule, and uh, I, there were heartbreaking images that remain indelible in my mind of small boys working on the streets of uh towns and cities because their widowed mothers were unable to go out in public unable to garner an income or even go shopping uh for food the the checkpoints of the Taliban leaders uh as you drove through uh Afghanistan were festooned with the audio and video tapes that were pulled from what were viewed as contraband um uh, media the, the, it's clear the Taliban is trying to gain support and claiming it will adapt to the difference in society over the last 20 years uh, I think most of us will be skeptical of its ability to follow through and remember the most important thing is the Taliban is not just one group it is a cluster of different uh, factions and that have different practices So the idea that it will be uniform in the practice of government or its security mechanisms is unlikely.
4: We've been hearing for years that we're fighting the terrorists there, so we don't have to fight them here. Now that we've stopped fighting them there, what happens here?
2: the real danger is that the taliban will allow the return of al-qaeda and other like-minded militants to afghanistan uh, many of these groups will look for safe haven ability to rebuild a place to organize their propaganda a safe haven a sponsor and that is almost uh, certain to happen the question is will the taliban try to prevent uh any of those groups from engaging in attacks on the west And we'll be able to, as these groups are independent. Uh, After all, it's been reported that the Taliban wasn't fully aware of the Al-Qaeda plan to attack both the World Trade Center in New York and the Pentagon in Washington. So there is the the long-term danger that Afghanistan becomes once again what it was in the 1990s.
4: What, if anything, can the U.S. do about this?
2: The United States has limited options right now. The fact is, with the U.S. withdrawal and the pullout of many of the people, the Afghans who helped us, that our intelligence on the ground, our ability to know what is happening, um, whether it's politically, militarily, in terms of, of societal life, will be limited. Uh, we still have air power that we could use, but that's ineffective, I think, in uh, at this point. So our options will be very limited. Uh, the, the focus may, may be on homeland security and, I think, frankly, for the foreseeable future, how to absorb tens of thousands of Afghans who will be fleeing the country, uh, whether it's to come to the United States or to Europe or who become immigrant illegal immigrants in the neighboring countries this is likely to herald a period of instability that will require our resources and our intelligence on a lot of other fronts, not just in afghanistan
0: a question being asked this week was the u.s. effort the loss of life the billions of dollars spent all for nothing
2: well one of the big questions is whether the united states will be able in the near future to be a to organized the kind of coalitions it had in Afghanistan and Iraq. In Afghanistan, the U.S. organized the largest military coalition in the history of the world, with all of the NATO countries participating, 132 countries in total providing some kind of military assistance, and dozens of countries allowing U.S. US to use its territory uh for military operations uh that was critical in fighting the taliban uh, not just in the early stage but to sustain a presence for 20 years in iraq the, the u.s organized what was a very meager and cobbled together coalition of the willing as it was called to invade iraq both wars will now be seen as Having uh, either lost or been deeply flawed, or even a mistake, and the the question is how many countries will be willing to to engage or commit their troops, their national treasure, to a U.S.-led military operation. Now, having said that, the United States is still the world, the West's dominant power, somewhat by default because there aren't many alternatives in terms of leadership or. Uh, or countries willing to rally the world. So the U.S. will still be a leader. The question is how will it be able to mobilize support for, for a campaign or joint action? There's increasingly, just in the last few days already in Europe, a talk about Europe being more self-reliant when it comes to its own priorities and not relying on the United States.
4: This has been going on for almost 20 years now. I mean, when you look back at it, was this just a giant waste of time and money?
2: Americans may look at this as a trillion dollar throwaway that cost 2,400 American military lives and the deaths of almost 4,000 US contractors. Uh, The question is, what did we achieve? We did achieve some things. there was the emergence of a very rich civil society, the education of girls, 37 percent of girls now can read. We saw the first transition of uh, political power, the first democratic elections more than once, the creation of an independent media. How much of that will disappear is still not clear, but a lot of that is already threatened.
0: Robin Wright, a distinguished fellow at the Wilson Center for International Studies and a columnist for The New Yorker.
2: Chaos continues to dominate today outside Kabul's airport. As Afghans try desperately to flee their country. They first have to get through checkpoint after checkpoint, manned by Taliban fighters, some firing shots and beating people back.
0: The events playing out in Afghanistan this past week were especially raw and painful for U.S. veterans, service members who spent time there and served over the past 19 years.
3: The, the most important takeaway is that all veterans should hold their head high. They did their job. They did their job well. They should be proud of what they've done.
0: Retired Army Colonel Jeff Cantor. He served in Afghanistan in 2009 and 2010 easy to find his photo online from that tour of duty. He's seen with a broad smile on his face, reaching down to shake the hand of an Afghan boy outside Bagram Air Force Base. Jeff Cantor now runs the New Jersey Veterans Chamber of Commerce, helping veterans start and support small businesses. He spoke this week to our Peter Haskell for 880 In-Depth.
3: This is absolutely not a military failure. You know, the military did their job. All of the service members that deployed to Afghanistan and actually that were even here in the United States that had a, a, a role to play in the fight did their jobs and did their jobs well. You know, they kept the American people safe for 20 years and uh, there wasn't a, a terrorist attack planned out of Afghanistan that happened on our um our homeland during that entire time. So our troops did their job and, and did it well and did it with honor. You know this is a policy failure. Uh, I'm not going to get political at all, but oh, th- this is truly a policy failure. And um, you know, unfortunately, when you plan to fail, when you when you uh, fail to plan, you plan to fail, and that's exactly what happened here.
4: CBS News, among others, the New York Times and others, are reporting that the Biden administration did have a pretty good sense that Kabul could fail or could fall quickly. What does that say to you?
3: You know, clearly, we had set up a central government and history would dictate that central governments in Afghanistan never survived and there's a reason why the it's where empires go to die because everything is tribal in Afghanistan, you know, and, you know, to try to set up an artificial central government that happened to be corrupt and then we back to central government. You know, when I was there a lot of times uh, a police officer from different provinces all over the country, police officers would shake down the local populace uh, to, to take money from them and specific checkpoints that they set up and we were backing these police officers and we were backing these government officials and so the people of afghanistan is like why is the united states of america backing these corrupt people so there was never that real trust in the central government um and and that's the unfortunate thing so when we left and left it to the central government it it just deteriorated so quickly
4: you talk about your time there. I want you to speak a little bit more about that. What was it like there? What, what, what did you see from the Afghan civilian population? What was your sense of the Taliban and the the control and the fear that they exerted there?
3: Well, from my experience, you know, obviously it's a very austere environment in Afghanistan. It's actually uh, naturally such a beautiful country. With the uh, valleys and and the mountains and, and the rivers, it's really remarkable to look at. such a gorgeous place. But the problem is the the people um, the, a lot of them couldn't be trusted, especially the ones in government, right? So you had the provincial governors that were there, and they would they would select their chief of police and and it was like a giant Ponzi scheme. So the chief of police would have to pay for his position uh to the uh, provincial governor, and then any police officers that he hired, they would have to pay up to the chief of police. So there was this giant ponzi scheme going on in the regional governments all over Afghanistan. So it was very, very difficult to uh, have credibility at the provincial governor level uh, and at the central government level. They you know people knew that they really couldn't trust the government. And when I say people, I'm talking about the you know regular Afghan people who, you know, lived and breathed, and wasn't in government. They they had a tough time believing, and they could not understand why the United States was were backing these corrupt people.
4: Tell us about the people that you encountered, the civilians. What did they see in the, mil- the U.S. military there, and what did they what did they want eventually? What were their hopes? And did you hear about those kinds of things? You know, I
3: think what ultimately what they wanted they wanted some form of stability. They wanted to live a peaceful life without the fear of getting killed uh, by by anyone. So anyone who was see, was seen like working with the Americans were fearful that the Taliban would come back and kill them. Uh, those that were working with the Taliban were fearful that the Americans would come in and do a raid somewhere and and kill them. So. There was never a sense of, in certain areas of Afghanistan, let me caveat that, there was never a sense of true peace. Now, in some instances there were, right? So for the last 20 years, girls and women had more freedoms than they ever had in the past. Um, and, And it was nice to see that. It was nice to see that, you know, girls could be educated in school without fear of retribution or getting killed or maimed. Um, And and there were always problems. You know, Afghanistan had the highest number of self-immolation cases in the entire world. That's where people set themselves on fire. And that's mostly from from women and and girls. And it's it's a very sad situation. Life is very, very difficult in Afghanistan for the Afghan people. Uh, And they just wanted a semblance of, of peace and stability.
0: What is especially painful is the human toll. The number of American service members killed in Afghanistan through April was 2,448. U.S. contractors killed 3,846. The number of Afghan national military and police who died, numbers over 66,000. Other Allied service members, including NATO member states, 1,144. The number of Afghan civilians who lost their lives over the 20 years is over 47,000. Over 50,000 Taliban and other opposition fighters were killed. The number of aid workers lost, 444. And the number of journalists killed, 72. U.S. veteran Jeffrey Cantor reflects.
3: I knew that the most important thing we could do is keep the American people safe. And that's what we did do and we accomplished that mission. Uh, the rest of it was all mission creep and we really should never have taken that, that stuff on. And you know, nobody there died in vain. No American ever died in vain because they fought for their brothers and sisters on the left and right of them and they fought for civilians to keep them safe. So they did their jobs. They're true heroes. Uh, and and this whole debacle that's going on now can never ever take that away from our heroes.
4: With that said, what are you hearing from your fellow veterans? What have you been hearing these past few days?
3: Yeah, it's been it's been tough for them the last couple of days. You know, we, you work so hard when you're there. You work 16 hours a day, seven days a week to try and and bring some semblance of stability for the Afghan people, the innocent civilians there. And, and you do that because that's what your country asked you to do. And every single veteran should hold their head high that they were involved with really making history and helping so many people uh, live a, a good and, and, and safe life. And um, it's just, this is no reflection on what the veterans did in Afghanistan. The veterans did their job, they did their job well, and they should be proud of, of what they accomplished.
4: What concerns do you have about the mental health of some of these people, the people who are looking at this and saying, what did I do? Why did I do this? Was it worth it? Are, are you concerned about some of these people?
3: Yeah, Peter, I am concerned of how veterans are taking this. You know, we're all sitting in front of the TV watching this all unfold. And I, I, to, to almost to the veteran, to every single veteran that was there, we're all sad, depressed, anxious, just frustrated uh, at how this all ended. Um, there, was, there was definitely a better way to, to end this. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't implemented. But the interesting thing that I found is even with Vietnam veterans, this is triggering Vietnam veterans because it's very similar to the fall of Saigon. And then when the Vietnam veterans came home and the way they were treated by the populace was so disrespectful, uh, we can never, ever allow that to happen again and so a lot of vietnam veterans are getting triggered by this episode as are uh, iraq and afghanistan veterans and it's it's very sad but you know the most important thing to take away from this is that veterans did their job they kept the american people safe in the homeland um they they created a semblance of stability while we were there in afghanistan and we should be very very proud of the job that we did and it's nothing short of amazing what they were able to accomplish
4: if you speak to somebody or text somebody and you sense they're in crisis or you're worried about them, what do you tell them? What kind of advice do you give them?
3: Well, the best thing as a veteran, the best thing you could do is call your battle buddy. Right? Everyone has a battle buddy, and you just call your battle buddy to talk it out. That's the that's primary thing you should do. Um, there are other uh, areas you could do. In, in New York, New Jersey, we have a, a program called vet to vet um, and the number there is 866-838-7654. And if there's any veteran in crisis, they can call and there's a veteran on the other line waiting to speak to them uh, to talk them through some of the issues that, that they might be feeling at this time. There's also the, the VA crisis hotline that they can call at any time um, or visit the VA website. There's resources there. So there are resources available, but the best thing is to speak to your battle buddy, make sure they're doing okay, make sure that they're in a good place, that they're not at risk of harm or destructive behavior. And, you know, we're all in this together. We have to look out for our brothers and sisters uh, during this time.
0: Cantor and his fellow veterans who served time in Afghanistan are also focused On the well-being of the civilians left behind, those who supported the U.S. mission, the translators, their families, the fixers, the escorts, the contractors and their families. Some are being evacuated, some are out already, but many seem to have no way out. Do you have a
4: sense of of what might
0: have happened to them under the Taliban?
3: So, Peter, it's really unfortunate. I've been getting text messages and been getting uh, direct messages on social media uh, with some of my fellow veterans and, and speaking who are still in contact with, uh, their interpreters or people that they worked with while they were there. And some of the text or messages that you see will just ring out your heart. I mean, you're talking about translators that worked with Americans for, for a decade now are making uh, a death pact with their children that when the Taliban come knocking on their door, instead of being killed, by the Taliban, they're gonna take their own lives uh, because it's, it's too dangerous, they can't go out, and they don't trust what the Taliban would do to the, to the rest of their family. So you see stuff like this, and it just completely breaks your heart and, and hollows your soul to see what these people are going through. And we, we made a promise to them that we would work with them, they worked with us, they helped us during this entire two decade time, and we owe it to them to help them out during this crisis. And the fact that we did not plan this effectively, the fact that we left everyone behind, um, just ruins our credibility as Americans. This is not how we conduct ourselves. We always look out for, for those who, who have helped us. And, and I think that the guilt that veterans are feeling because of this, because they left their, their people behind is, is truly insurmountable. And that's why it's so important to talk to your battle buddy and figure out a way to get your interpreters out of there safely you know right now the only way is through Hamid Karzai International Airport the problem is that the Taliban have set up checkpoints all around the city so it is very dangerous so we're trying to work through um, getting them out uh, um, you know through safely and and have freedom of passage but it's very very difficult right now and very dangerous
4: it seems the Taliban is trying to give the impression that it's a different kind of kinder and gentler Taliban than it was before. What's your sense of that?
3: Yeah, that's a complete fabrication. Uh, the Taliban are ruthless, horrible people that uh, are the worst of humanity. And that what they're doing is biding our time. And that's what they did the last 20 years. They had freedom of movement, Pakistan. Uh, helped them and secured them, gave them freedom of movement uh, in the tribal areas. And, you know, that's where the center of gravity was for this war. It was in Pakistan. It was never in Afghanistan. And the problem is they'll just wait us out. And then once we're gone, then it's game on. You'll see in a matter of weeks the true Taliban step up and uh, start doing what they're known for. And that's just humiliating people and killing people left and right.
4: Jeff, thank you so much for your time and your insight. Is there anything else that you want to add?
3: Uh, Peter, the only thing I I just, the, the most important takeaway is that all veterans should hold their head high. They did their job. They did their job well. They should be proud of what they've done. This policy failure is in no way a reflection on the great work that our veterans have done. They're true heroes, and they should walk away from this knowing that they are true heroes and they helped so many people.
4: Jeff, thank you. I appreciate it.
3: Thanks, Peter. You have a great day.
0: President Biden said this week that he expects U.S. troops to be staying in Afghanistan past the August 31st deadline to make sure that all who can be evacuated safely will be. In Depth is a production of WCBS News Radio 880 and the Odyssey New York Digital Team. Peter Haskell and myself, Tim Sheld, are the executive producers. Production assistance by Dempsey Pilot. Find us under podcasts on WCBS880.com. Subscribe wherever you get your audio. Just look for 880 In Depth. Thank you for listening. Be safe. And we don't say it enough. But to those who serve in the military or have served, thank you.